welcome to Six Strings of Tension, a guitar podcast where I talk about guitar with guitarists that are cool, that I like, that are doing cool things on six strings, generally speaking. Um, and today we've got a fellow, he's part of this new, I've seen it being referred to as a third wave of American primitive players, uh, gigging alongside the likes of Liam Grant and many other sort of a blossoming plethora of young musicians playing this style of music, if you will. Um, but this guy is also a little bit of a boundary pusher. Some of his stuff is more noisy, he works in film, uh, and often these sorts of other artistic forms kind of collide with the primitive stuff, which is super cool. But anyway, without further ado, this is Ethan WL. Uh, I hope I said your in quotes last name correctly but how are you doing man thanks for joining yes yeah thank you again so much for having me and yes you did say it correctly i know it it can like kind of trip people up and it's really i don't know if this makes it more or less confusing there's someone else in the boston scene who plays solo acoustic guitar it's not like american primitive guitar but they do play solo acoustic guitar who also has like a two-letter last name that starts with w so it, it's it gets a little confusing but yeah thank you so much for having me oh that it's my pleasure and yeah you got to have a little bit of that kind of weird vibes <laughs> in these scenes with names and everything but so are you based in boston because i've heard oh i've read rather like new england massachusetts i, I think boston is in massachusetts forgive my poor geography no no worries um yeah so i, I live right outside of boston this okay. sort of like a little conglomerate of like four cities that are directly north of Boston that are pretty much part of Boston. Um, so I live there. I, I lived in Massachusetts mostly my whole life. Um, so yeah. Okay, I, cool. Yeah, short an that's a short answer. Okay, rad. Well, like, I mean, the reason why I'm asking those because like in my mind, Boston is like a big city. And um, I know just like from your social media and stuff, you seem to spend a lot of time in more rural areas. So yeah, and your music also to my ears anyway, kind of invokes a more rural type of thing. So are you from the city or are you it, like where you are? Is it a little bit like peri-urban or rural, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up um, in a city called Gloucester that's about 25, 30 miles north of Boston. Um, not very rural. It was a fishing community for a long time. Um, and, you know, has a lot of, like, art history. Winslow Homer and uh, who's the other guy? Edward Hopper, like, a lot of artists and stuff. Because, right, it's an island. So I grew up oh, on an cool. island. Um, yeah, which is always pretty cool to say. And so, like... It had sort of a, you know, natural kind of vibe, but, like, not what I would consider rural at all. Pretty much anything, like, within a 25-mile radius of Boston is not going to be rural. Um, and it's even where I live now, I live in a city called Watertown. Um, it's a little more, like, suburby, maybe, than, okay. some of the, than, like, a lot of Boston proper and the other parts of... Uh, you know the other cities that surround boston but it's still a city it's definitely not rural like you got to go pretty far outside the city like to get real rural it's not like a place like seattle where you can just like drive 30 minutes and you're like you know okay. in the cascades or something like if you want to go to the mountains you got to drive two and a half hours up to new hampshire or vermont or maine or something like that so 
I, I spent a year living in Vermont, which is kind of, which is a very rural state. It is one of the least populated states in America. Mm. Um, and, you know, I still try to get out to more rural uh, areas as much as I can. But no, that's definitely, for most of my life, like never where I have like actually spent the majority of my time. Okay, yeah, I, I had actually seen the Vermont thing. My only like point of reference for Vermont is that that's where Bernie Sanders comes from, which yep. is pretty cool for, by by my view anyway, out here on the other side of the world. Um, but okay, that's rad. So like growing up in a place like that, how did you end up like into sort of American primitive type of stuff? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I I was really into like classic rock as a kid. Yeah, um, me too. And and like we did not I did not have any sort of awareness of like any tor- sort of like alternative or underground music scene. Um like I would hang out at the local record store and we had this really great um local record store in Gloucester called Mystery Train which is like somehow related to the more better well-known one in Amherst that I know like um, Byron, uh, Byron Coley, like oh yeah, it, it goes feeding to tube his, records. He, he lives out there, you know. Thing. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, like so dinosaur junior connections there as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So had this vaguely connected record store with the same name in my hometown, and like I, I was able to, you know, be exposed to some different stuff. But I was really into classic rock and prog rock when I was in high school. Um, and then when I got to college, like, my tastes sort of started to expand a little bit. I also went to college in Massachusetts uh, in another post-industrial city uh, called Lowell, which is a little bigger. Okay. Um, one of the two two cities in Massachusetts fight for the uh, title, the birthplace of the American Revolution. Or not revolution. Um, industrial Revolution. The oh, American okay. Industrial Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Lowell is one of them. Um and so but they had a really good music program and i knew i wanted to study music i knew i didn't want to go to berkeley which is here in boston which is like has a really sort of like yeah i've seen the memes (laughs) yes exactly it it has a vibe about it it has a a reputation Mm. some people really want that i i knew that wasn't what i wanted so i i went to umass lowell and both like being around more you know a diverse group of people like showing me different kinds of music was really helpful but really i'd say like the one person who got me down the path that eventually led me to american primitive guitar was one of my professors um i took this um on we had to take ensembles like you know playing in groups and there was one that was it was a percussion ensemble for people who are not percussionists and in the first semester that I took that, like, the professor is this guy, Jeff Fisher. He's, like, very buttoned up, you know, kind of, like, seems okay. like a very normal professor. He's a timpanist, you know, like, okay, plays yeah. in orchestras in Boston. And one of the songs we did in that ensemble was an arrangement he made of a lightning bolt song. Whoa, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the duo yeah. lightning bolt. Yes, yeah. like from Providence, okay. yeah. And so that was like my first introduction to like noise. And we did, we did a section from Philip Glass's Einstein on the beach. 
and stuff wow. like that. So that was like really he showed me like noise and drone and, and minimalism and more experimental stuff. Um, which was yeah, really That's, cool. Yeah. And so somehow down that path, I found out about Pelt through like a magazine okay. article or something that I read. And same thing, uh, cul-de-sac. Like I found about, I found out about them through the same article. And so I listened to like Pelt and cul-de-sac for a, a long time, not really realizing that Jack Rose and Glenn Jones had like these careers, mm. a, a, you know, outside of just yeah, those separately. groups. Mm. Yeah. And so then like a, a friend of mine started getting into this kind of stuff. Like he got into Fahey and Jack and, um, you know, American Primitive Guitar. And like I made the connection, you know, when he showed me the stuff that Jack Rose was in Pelt, and I was like, okay. Yeah. So it really, you know, I'd always. It does sort of. It's like when I started, get, especially getting into Jack and, and John Fahey, there was this connection that was made because when I was like 13 and I was wicked into like Led Zeppelin, I. And, you know, I found out that they had taken a lot of their songs from old, like, blues stuff. I started to investigate where they were taking from. Like, I was 13 years old and getting, like, hugely into Charlie Patton. And so then I, about, like, four years ago when I was getting into Jack and John Fahey and stuff like that, like, the connection was remade. I was like, oh, like, I started, you know, diving back into the Charlie Patton and Blind Lemon Jefferson all that kind of stuff and so i still i only considered myself a listener okay um for a long time but i eventually started to like because i only played electric guitar or bass i i played you know bass pretty regularly too for a long time and so i only really did those two things and then i started you know thinking that i wanted to try and learn some of this stuff and it started out like just me um, like trying to do it on electric, you know, just okay. uh, to kind of pluck it out. And then I moved up to Vermont, uh, like, you know, after when things started to open up more, like after the pandemic. And I, I just happened upon um, this old Alvarez acoustic guitar at a flea market mm. that like played pretty well. It was only like 60 bucks, but it played pretty well and it was nice. And actually, when I played a show with Glenn at the beginning wow. of the year, he was like... He kept checking out the guitar. He's like, this is a really interesting guitar, man. He's like, where'd you get this? Like, how would you get it for it? He's like, those Alvarez's, you know, they, they, they sound so much better than they're worth. And I was like, yeah. But the, uh, well, this is a side part. Mm. The neck was too small on it, though. The neck was okay. not wide enough. That always bothered the hell out of me. But anyway, so I bought this guitar. You know, this was like summer 2021. And I just started practicing you know learning that kind of stuff i mean really i would spend hours just practicing double thumbing um and then trying to add rhythms in and then the first thing i learned was sunflower river blues um beautiful yep and you know i I started sort of messing around with the style and you know just kind of playing it on my own you know and i didn't really realize that there was like sort of a world for this still until i met liam okay okay yeah wow that's that's a pretty crazy journey so like when you went to college where did you go to study guitar because you went to like a music school 
Yeah, I mean, it was really, I went to a state school that had a music okay. program. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, and so I went to mostly to study sound recording. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hence, yeah. hence your, your very nice microphone that I see you using there. I'm feeling I, I'm feeling a little bit like uh, very unprofessional comparatively. But yeah. Oh, but, no, but, no worries. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't end up finishing down that path anyway. Oh. So <laughs> okay, it does, cool. doesn't matter in the end. But yeah, that's yeah. what I ended up going. Mm. Um, I ended up going for sound recording. And yeah, like you still had to do like your instrument training and stuff. And I did like mm. a year of guitar. And I hated it. It was like jazz yeah. guitar, and I hated it. I had played, I'd started on guitar first, but I had played jazz bass in the high school jazz band because no one else would do it. Mm. And so okay. I actually, like, I realized when I got to college that I enjoyed that more. So I switched to bass is my instrument for the next two years that I was, like, actually a music major. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Is that also the same UMass that the Pixies have a song referencing? Okay, different, different one. So yeah, there's like the UMass system, and and the main one is out in Amherst where the Mystery Train is. Oh, uh, okay. It yeah. seems like and there's so, a lot yeah. going on there. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, Western Massachusetts. There's you know like like you said, Jay Mascus is out there, and okay. and Byron and and stuff like that. So Western Mass has its own little scene. But yeah, different. UMass Lowell is like. We like to think of ourselves as being like on par with the main UMass, but we're not. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I yeah, I'm in no position to. <laughs> to it's it's one of those silly things that you get out of college and you realize that like it doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah. You know. 100%. But I remember being in school, like especially because we were really good at hockey, and and so was UMass, the main UMass, and so that was always like a big deal. And now looking back, I'm like, I never think about that. Okay, cool. I realized that I missed out my like normal question that I start the interview with, which is, uh, when was the last time you played guitar and what were you playing? Oh, that's a great question. I think it's tough because when I say I just moved, I mean I just like yeah. moved all my stuff in yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was on Thursday, and I think I was practicing. Um just like my set i was supposed to play a show on friday that got canceled it like last minute it was really a whirlwind thursday night i get asked like hey do you want to play a show tomorrow night at this house mm -hmm. venue that i played at before and i was like hell yeah and then by friday afternoon it was like oh our basement flooded the show is canceled oh. um <laughs> which has been happening because like yeah it's been raining a ton that that's a side topic okay. but yeah so i think i just i played last played on thursday because i've not i do have finally have all my instruments out of their okay. cases and stuff like that but yeah, yeah i just haven't had the chance yeah, i played on thursday i ran through my set which i've streamlined to be about four songs now for like a 30 minute set so that's that's what i did okay okay cool and like in terms of guitars so you had like an alvarez uh, which, which are super cool I know like Ben Chesney from Six Organs he played an Alvarez for like the bulk of Six Organs career and mm -hmm. then like only like a couple years ago went fancy and got a Martin so so what have you like moved on to now yeah um give me one second I'm just gonna take off my sweatshirt actually it's hard that's cool go for it man I shall edit this out <laughs> fear not yeah, so anyway, I have an Eastman. Oh. Um, yeah. I worked at this instrument store, 
in my hometown. And the, the guy who owned it was a big, like, bluegrass player. Okay. And he had, uh, like, Eastman's were his big guitar. And so, I mean, it was partially, like, familiarity, and I knew, like, what I would get out of them. And, like, I knew that I could get something that was, like, relatively cheap. Because I still... I've had a lot of internal debates about this and debates with other people. Like, I, I don't... I'm not into buying, like, the wicked expensive gear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, like, having to have the best. Like, I'm into, you know... I, I always think more, like, oh, to, like, make do with what I have. Which, again, sometimes I challenge, you know, myself on, even still, yeah. especially I've been looking for a 12-string guitar, and I'm like, well, do I buy, like, like, um, oh, what's his name? Rob, um, who plays this Night Owl from Cincinnati, okay. he, 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 rec- or he recommended, like, this Guild 12-string that was, like, 500 bucks that I've looked into, but then, like, I found this great old Gibson 12-string on Facebook Marketplace for, like... 1200 bucks and i was like i don't know if i can give that up for better for worse (laughs) after the initial message the guy never got back to me so i didn't end up getting it but okay you know because i do and i because i do hear it because like and there are pros and cons because liam's got that i mean you'll probably hear me reference liam a lot since we live in close proximity um and you know the only two people in boston now that well glenn still does it but the of yeah. the third wave, as they call it, me and yeah. Liam are the only ones in Boston since Joseph left. Um, so, like Liam's got his old nineteen, you know, thirteen guitar with the German yeah. name that I can never pronounce. I, I also cannot pronounce it, and and Joseph also has one, right? Joseph, like the that's, same that's one. a twelve string. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he has the yeah. twelve string version. Yeah. Um, and you know, I hear it sometimes, and especially on his record, I'm like, oh god sounds damn good like maybe i should you know shell out the money or like i was at acoustic music works in in pittsburgh and i was playing this like four thousand dollar uh bojo 12 string guitar and you know it sounded great but then sometimes you know especially when i'm playing live and i've got like a fresh set of strings and stuff i'm like you know i can Mm. make do with this 500 hundred dollar guitar you know yeah and like to be honest with you i think that the amount of people who can actually hear the difference aside from yourself as the player is like so negligible it's like a 0.01 percent maybe of listeners um, who can hear distinct distinguish that but but also like same same deal like i'm not trying to um retract from like those awesome old or expensive guitars like they're amazing to play and like you know i think that probably inspires you to play more and like you know you end up playing differently depending on the guitar that you're using so i think that they're super cool and um, maybe i'm just trying to justify it because i'm also a cheap gear kind of guy <laughs> but yeah but, but that's rad so um okay so like when did you uh first meet liam here yeah um i this real like roundabout way mm someone that i know like through the noise scene posted on instagram that her roommate was playing this show and i saw mike gangloff's name on the show poster and i was like what the hell like 
Mike Gangloff's playing in Worcester, which is like uh, it's the second biggest city in Massachusetts and New England, and it's like about an hour west of Boston. Um, and I was like, that's so crazy. Like, I have to see that. Um, you know, and I didn't realize that he had been on like tour with Liam and Grayson. Um, and, you know, I didn't really pay attention to anything else on the poster. Joseph Oliver played that show, too. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time I met him. Uh, but yeah, really, I just saw Mike's name and I was like, I have to go to this. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I went and, um, you know, it was cool, like, cause Liam started playing like, you know, American mm-hmm. Primitive stuff and, and I was, and so did Joseph and Joseph blew me away and, you know, Liam was on the road, but I, I was like, definitely keep in touch cause we jammed, we did this crazy like hour and a half long drone jam after the show oh wow it was like yeah me and liam and grayson and the person who runs the venue and my friend whose roommate was playing and then mike joined in towards the end so you were like yeah this is this is cool um and then when liam you know he sort of went on he went on this like perpetual tour after he graduated college and when that sort of finally ended he moved back to new hampshire uh with his parents and so we just started like playing more um okay yeah and stuff like that and um yeah playing because you know we're like two people that do this and it was Mm. like he's been a great connection because i went on my first tour with him and yeah now he's living in Cambridge, which is like the next city over, so okay, it, it was it was like a really serendipitous meeting that's really worked out. Wow, man! I mean, like Mike Gangloff was there, and you got to jam with him, basically. Like, what what was that like? I mean, as as someone who's like into pelt and that, I guess. Yeah, I mean that it's funny because at the time I was like, "This is crazy!" Like, I'm yeah. jamming Mike, <laughs> and then like, you know, now I've played like been on. The, bills with him and uh and same thing like i played uh me and liam played a show with spiral joy band in wisconsin whoa yeah and and it's it's (laughs) yeah yeah it's It's funny because it's like (laughs) it means so much to me you know and people Mm. like us and and, but it's also really you get into this weird thing where that starts happening where I mean, this is especially true in underground music. Like, these really are just, like, other people, like, just kind of mm. people you know, your friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so, not to say that, like, the notoriety is worn off, but, you know, it feels like now at this point a little more, like, they are just, like, my fellow musicians. Yeah. They've been humanized. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. That's amazing, though. Like, wow. That's, I think that's so cool. Like... I don't know. I, I, I would definitely feel like superstar struck <laughs> in a situation I, like that. Yeah, I did definitely like w- when I went to the show at first, you know, because I was like, I somehow I overheard Mike and his sister talking and I found out that she had lived in my hometown. And so, like, I got talking to him and I was like, this is crazy. Like, mm. I'm talking to Mike Gangloff from Bell. <laughs> it's cool and like as you say now you've like shared bills like mm-hmm. played with spiral joy band um yeah that's awesome but so like before that you you were were you like an active sort of noise musician here um no okay. uh, and like I, i've never been like you know it's funny because i 
I know a lot of people like in the noise scene, but mm. I've like never been a noise musician. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd done all sorts of things over the years, but I'd never really like sort of broken into the Boston scene until I, excuse me, moved here like mm. in early or, you know, to Somerville, which is another one of those random little cities outside of Boston back in 2022. And then I really started like getting out there. I had a band that I did for a little bit. You know, I'd been like recording with this band, The Big Nest, and it was like mostly a recording project, especially because a lot of our existence happened through COVID. Um, okay. And I tried to then when like I came here back here, I tried to do that for a little bit as like a live band. But it was very much a thing where it was like I was the leader okay. and I didn't want to do that anymore. Like I wasn't really interested in being like the leader of a band. So and, you know, we were like kind of noisy. So we had some like adjacent, you know, connections and stuff like that. And even a few times like we played crazy bills because it'd be like the promoter wanted like these other two indie bands to play. But they're like, do you want anyone else to play? And I'd like get a noise group to play and it would just be i played one i mean i feel really bad for the group for this but i played one show where it it was like two like you know my band and two more like normal sort of indie rock groups and then like this noise duo that i got to play and their set got cut off whoa just because people were like this is unlistenable people were into it i guess yeah Yeah, so uh yeah like i go to a lot of those kind of shows and I like to listen to that kind of stuff, but, um, okay. You know, outside of like sometimes group stuff, uh, you know, I'll participate in sometimes never something I really have done on my own. Okay. And so like at that gig where they got cut off, were they doing like the sort of thing, you know, you see those videos of people just like with like a snare drum and a contact mic and like crazy, like distortion pedals, just screaming and that sort of thing. Was it sort of that extreme noise? (laughs) Yeah, it, it was, it was a little bit, it was a kodo and a guitar. Okay. What is a kodo? Um, a kodo is a traditional Japanese instrument. Okay. Um, it's 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 a zither. It's like a long, oh. like eight foot long piece of wood, and it has ni- nylon strings, I think, and it has the sort of like wishbone shaped things that hold the strings up. And so yeah, there's mm. this great musician Marie Carroll, um, who used to live around here um because she went to new england conservatory and yeah she would like play the kodo through um like guitar pedals and stuff like that and okay. do really crazy stuff and so it was like her and a guitar player doing yeah it was a bit like combo like noise and free improv because that's a lot of like the new england conservatory scene is like a big free improv kind of oh, group it sounds awesome like <laughs> yeah okay. yeah i mean i loved it you know yeah okay but yeah yeah, yeah. no for sure like like it's not everybody's cup of tea. In fact, it's probably mm. like most people would not consider it music necessarily. Yeah. Um, okay. But um, like the reason why I was asking is because the only sort of album of yours that I'm really familiar with is The Pink House. And then plus like some new recordings that you sent me sort of like unedited uh, pre-mix versions of as mm. well, which which sound great, by the way. But, but like on the pink house, you know, there's sort of the acoustic primitive style stuff, but there's also some like more kind of electric soundscapey stuff and field recordings. And even to my ears, like a little bit of a noise element to some of those 
recordings like with that sort of harsh mic sound and stuff like that um but somehow it's still super coherent like as an album and as as a single listening experience so i was just like, like interested to find out what sort of the thread for you that sort of ties it all together um or the intention behind creating sort of a sonically diverse record like that right i mean there's a lot of reasons i think number one is the fact that it was like i can't really say it's the soundtrack to a movie it's sort of like the companion to a movie like how like those um like when popol vaud did those herzog um, movies back in the 70s and Mm. there would be like two songs on the album that were actually in the movie and then the rest were just things that sort of like fit the overall vibe Mm. um like that's sort of what this is going for so yeah my friend jefferson evers crawford um you know a friend of mine since high school um and we were both living in vermont for a while yeah he sort of commissioned me to do the music and like sound design for this film of his the pink house uh or at least that was the working title and you know a lot of excuse me a lot of the more field recording kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it are like just sound design experiments that i was like working with for the film um and same thing with like maybe like the noisier stuff but i also did have like this idea that I really wanted to put something that was like a little more challenging on there. Like that was more, um, you know, sort of like telling a story through audio. Um, Like I I had dated someone who worked in radio and that, and she really made me think about like sort of audio telling a story like in in a different sort Mm -hmm. of way. And so I was really inspired to um yeah do something like that you know really and 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 same thing i i saw this um especially with one of them this is such a specific reference i played like a virtual festival during covid and i can't remember the guy's name but it was through the maryland institute college of art and like this guy did this crazy like sort of like lowercase music set Okay. Um, if you're familiar, like, I don't even know no, how to describe no. Lord. Yeah, like, I have no idea what that is. Sorry, forgive my ignorance. <laughs> no, it's fine. And I, I can't describe it well, but it's... You know, you field recordings and stuff like that and sort of... I mean, you could also almost consider something like the more sparse Stockhausen kind of stuff, like lowercase, just things that okay. are really like sort of, it's almost in the background, but in, you know, it's kind of quiet, but it's there and, you know, okay. subtle changes. I mean, it's, it has similarities to drone and like stuff a, like that, where like it's subtle changes and stuff like that. Okay. Um, one might even call it like really quiet noise, which is kind of maybe okay. seems like an oxymoron. No. And so, and so yeah i think that was that was part of it just a lot of these coming Mm. from these different influences and then i think also just like a background of like when i started work on that i hadn't like really played an american primitive guitar you know guitar show like live Mm. or anything and i was still sort of like coming from this band recording project background 
and I was still taking a lot of like that influence with me. And so I was like, you know, I really felt like I had to, you know, include all of this to like really create a full picture. Like I think maybe even, although I'm like proud of it, I'm happy that I released it the way mm -hmm. I did. I think it was almost like the uh, a self-consciousness of like putting out something that was like just guitar. Okay. Um, yeah. which is, you know, you mentioned like the new recordings, which is like, I, something, you know, that is what I really want to do for my next release is like mm. put out something that is just guitar, like just my solo things, you know, really a document of what I've been doing lately. Cause definitely as I've built up the confidence and stuff like that, I, you know, really yeah. appreciate and really feel more strongly about just being able to you know keep a captive audience with just the guitar mm. well i think a lot of that is also like just sort of compositionally like the new songs are really strong like and really engaging which is so important for solo acoustic stuff you know like the kind of acrobatics of it like goes only to be honest like for me like after three minutes it's like you're desensitized to you know someone who's like technically amazing so compositionally i think you know straight up acoustic guitar has to be carried by like strong songwriting and i think that definitely there's a step up in that respect from the pink house to the new stuff uh which is exciting um but okay cool because i was going to ask like so is the idea that there's going to be no additional overdubs or anything like that on this, the new tracks no nothing i, I am gonna um, probably re-record them just because you know I was working with Rob, oh, Rob yeah. Vaughn, um, and just I, you know, I think I can do better and it's such a but it'll be the same general idea. But yeah, no, I mean that's really the plan. Is like I I want I want to just be like pure guitar record. Like you know I think this is another thing that Liam has sort of like also gotten gotten into me. Like really just, um. Yeah, I guess just like I said, like just guitar really trying to document like almost I ideally it would seem like I'm documenting like a live performance or something. Mm. And sometimes I even think that ideally I wish I could just record live and like have it sound good because I, I ran into that problem when I was trying to record these like just on my own. Like it's hard to keep up that energy when you don't have an audience. Yeah, I found and so, which is another reason why I'm redoing them, because I feel like, you know, I've even, like, floated the idea of, like, just inviting some of my friends to come and, like, sit in on the recording session, yeah. just so I have, like, something like that to have the energy there, because, yeah, I really want to capture that, and I, I feel like I haven't yet. I think that's definitely something worth looking at. I think Rage Against the Machine did that for their first album. Like, they brought all their friends into the studio to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to give them that vibe. Um but yeah, like Liam is hardcore about that. Like I know he does like a lot of probably more like, oh, not more, but, but he does some sort of collaborative stuff on his records as well where there's other players. But even in those cases, it's always straight live takes, no overdubs. Um, and, and, and there's something cool about that. But personally, I'm also a big fan of the, 
experimenting in a studio or like in a, a stu- not a studio but you know at home yeah like with, with the door you know yeah with the door exactly yeah um but but i but but i think it's super cool to have like one album like the pink house where you've got that kind of wider range of stuff going on uh and then to move into that space where it's just live guitar takes it's it's pretty ballsy but i guess it makes sense like given that you're playing it live now yeah yeah thanks i mean and i think it is i have just been doing the you know overdub sort of like in daw creation for so long mm. like I, i've been doing that for years since i made like my first little indie folk album oh geez. okay I haven't heard Seven that. Seven years ago, I think it was, something like that. So, I, I you know, I, I was real into that sort of, like, one-man band kind of thing for a okay. long time. And, you know, I think that is, again, sort of the idea behind just doing this, you know, all just, you, you know, one take or no overdub stuff like that it, it is to do something different. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, I can I can sort of relate like yeah I understand <laughs> you know you want it to be just captured like that but um and, and so like Rob Vaughn is going to be working on the new tracks here you said so how did yeah. you uh, so did you sort of connect with Rob Vaughn through Liam uh, or yeah. what happened there yeah just um you know I can't remember how exactly um I think Rob and I I mean obviously he like found out of me through Liam and then I think we just kind of became a little bit more acquainted like uh interacting on Instagram. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um and then yeah, I mean when I especially after Amaskeeg came out and I heard it, I was like I have to have Rob mix my album. Like I I mean I I truly think and you know this might be heresy to say like i think almost geek might even sound better than some like jack rose albums in terms of just oh. like the atmosphere and like how you know how it's mixed and how it sounds and so i was yeah i was like i have to have rob to mix it he's given mm. me some great advice on how i should like re-record the songs and, and really just like has been a, a great guiding influence through all this because it is nice you know i'm sure there aren't a lot of audio engineers who are uh you know experts in american primitive guitar like like he is so it's nice to have that one person it's crazy i i mean like look to be honest with you i'd agree with you that i think liam's uh album which i have been calling a mosky egg for so long and i I, and i so because yeah amosky is an old native american word and there is like um an area in New Hampshire that like has that name. It's mm. like a waterfall. And yeah, I was pronouncing it a Moskiag for years. Okay. Until I heard yeah. Liam say it. And I was like, I, I trust, you know, Liam yeah. saying his album after it. I trust his pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he, he does tend to be someone who like does his research. He was like exactly. a journalist. He studied journalism, I think. So yeah. He did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I would definitely trust him on that. But yeah, Rob is amazing like that because, I mean, I think like a lot of, you know, you know Liam's first thing, Swung Heavy, I think it was pretty much also Rob that helped him pull that together. 
so i think that he has been hugely instrumental in kind of getting you know liam and this kind of music out there and even here you know he's been very accommodating to weird south africans sending him just random <laughs> shit that we record as well so I'm, I'm excited to hear what he does with that album that's gonna be super cool so so like when you re-record it now um I, okay so you're thinking like of perhaps bringing some people in or like what else uh, are you thinking of sort of changing up because those initial recordings sound pretty good to me but but yeah what what is it that you're trying to sort of capture differently thanks yeah well it's funny because i think what i was trying to capture in those original takes was um like uh, uh spontaneity because mm. i i wasn't planning you know i hadn't really thought about how i was going to record them yet but I, I wasn't necessarily planning on recording them that day i was like up in vermont hiking through this really secluded area like where no one lives and i had my zoom recorder and i had my guitar just like I really had the guitar if I wanted, like, I, w I was, they weren't connected in my mind initially. I was like, I had the Zoom recorder if I wanted to make field recordings. I have the guitar if I feel like I want to play guitar. But then I got to sort of, like, this clearing, mm -hmm. um, and there was, like, a little rock that you could sit on, and, like, I just kind of felt, not that, I, like, and I said this to Rob, not to be too much of, like, a woo-woo kind of mountain man mm -hmm. kind of vibe, but I was just, <laughs> like, I, I, f I did feel like I needed to set myself some sort of limitation or else I was going to like retake myself to death. Okay. And so I was like, all right, I've got three hours until the sun goes down. Like I'm up here on this mountain. Um, like this is a good opportunity. And, and I think they came out. Some of them came out really well. Like I'm really happy with in other ones, you know, yeah, about the performance, but it, it doesn't have the, I mean, if you really want to get technical about it, like what it really lacks is like a sort of room sound. Okay. Um, you know, it's a little yeah. too like just straight guitar. It doesn't have uh, like a lot of stereo width and like not even that a lot mm. that Rob could sort of get out of it. And I think, I mean, I changed my strings pretty recently, but uh, I think okay. if I want to re-record them, like I want to like have like <laughs> fresh brand new strings. Because that's another thing I was like, this is not it's not bright enough and i was like trying as rob and i were going through the original um you know set of mixing like i was really trying to just sort of accept like no like i put these limits on myself like this was spontaneous and i'm going to stick with it but then we just like sort of came to a pass where it was like we both agreed like there was something mm -hmm. missing from them okay. and especially since like um It, yeah, it was a little ambiguous to me on how much I can say about who's going to release it. Okay, no, that's um, cool. No, no, no pressure But, but especially since it, 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 I can say it's going to be on vinyl. And so especially since the, because of that, um, mm. you know, really wanting to have a good product, especially both because, you know, it'll be more widely available and also just because of the sonic limitations of the nature of vinyl. Mm. Um, which is another great thing, you know, to have Rob um, in his insight on. So for both those reasons are part of the reasons why I decided to re-record it. And I also just think I might switch out a few songs. Like that's sort of the, okay. 
it's the double-edged sword of playing live a lot is like you know you develop things and then all of a sudden they change and or you know you develop a new song you're like oh i actually like that or like you know you played one song for a while and you thought it'd be great for the record and then you realize after playing it for a little bit longer you're like actually not and you know i really appreciated how jack was able to just like sit on things for a long time like i forget what uh, might be there's like a really early version flirting with the undertaker maybe okay some song that ended up on kensington blues that like there's like a bootleg of him playing it in like 2001 okay and so like i mean i don't know if i i I don't know if i have the patience to wait five years to release something but but you know i can you know give it a few months Mm. um at the very least to sort of like really think about what i want on a record so i think i'm trying to give myself that kind of patience too which i Mm. haven't normally in the past yeah i think liam also sat on songs for a couple of years even for uh a muskeeg yeah yeah which is funny because i i heard you know he got the test pressing and like i went over and listened to it and heard it and i was like i don't besides andrew and river rag which him and i would like mm. play together sometimes i was like i don't think i've ever heard you play any of these songs before he was like yeah i was playing these like you know a few years ago he did he started playing um the first song stratton eustace stratton eustace yeah more since he got his 12 string fixed okay um, but yeah uh you know yeah uh, i find myself in sort of a similar boat you know even with the pink house like i was largely not playing songs from it when i was touring it yeah i think yeah i think that's probably not as abnormal as it may feel often and i think even you know like I, i i like just from my own experience and you know from seeing various people live as well I think even if you sit on a track and you release it later, the way that you play that song live may also still evolve and change and the song can still grow even thereafter, Um, which is, I think, a cool thing personally. But I think, yeah, probably a good choice to let it stew longer. It's hard to be patient, though. It is really hard to be patient. But yeah, I mean, and even like, you know, I know the stories of like, neil young i forget on what tour it was i think it was like not long after harvest came out and he was just playing instead of playing songs from harvest he was just playing what ended up being tonight's the night like front to back you know so (laughs) yeah i could definitely think of instances where where that happens and even like you know because jack did this too like re-releasing stuff Mm. like i think a song that i might sub out is something from the pink house that i've like modified um okay and they've been playing live lately that i that i like a lot so it's it's a tough line to sort of stand on like being self-revisionist and also being self-accepting um that yeah is ever evolving yeah and it and like just like mentally it can be so draining and exhausting going through that process i don't know like is is that your experience as well (laughs) yeah because especially like as some 
for me it's a lot like his songs sort of get lost by the wayside i'm like oh should you know should they like should i revisit Mm. that like why you know i think i really start to look at like why am i not playing that song as much anymore it's like was it not a good song you know was did i just not master it like all these things you know Mm. do you really can start to second guess yourself i think i've done a good job um especially as i've gotten older of like and especially since i've started doing this too i think for as much as i just said that i overthink things mm-hmm. of not doing it too much okay and especially like i found going into a show like leading up i'll always really sort of contemplate what i might play mm. and then you just sort of you know in my experience i just show up and i know i'm like no i'm gonna play this like even i was thinking about my show that i was supposed to play on friday that got canceled i was like maybe i should switch up the set list and i was like no i'm gonna play these four songs maybe a fifth if i have time mm. um you know so and that's another thing where it's nice this sort of goes back to what i was talking about with like playing in front of people it gives you those boundaries, you know, it sort of inspire, you know, yeah. informs you to sometimes there's certain things you should do, what songs you should play. Yeah. H- have you been sort of surprised by that? Like, you know, perhaps songs that maybe you thought were great and didn't go down that well, or like that you thought were sort of like, ah, I'll just throw this one in and it goes down super well. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, I'm trying to think of, like, which one specifically. <laughs> I threw in one, and it's just... It's really interesting, because... You know, I think of... I, I often think of, like, this classic Jack Rose story, where he opened up for Stars of the Lid. And um. he was like, oh, they're going to be expecting, like, my more, like, long-form, kind of, like, basho kind of stuff. Like, I'm not going to give him that, uh, you know, I'm just going to mm-hmm. play ragtime the whole night. And, and, and he did that thinking that he was going to like alienate the crowd, but they loved it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I'm not trying to do it that extreme, but I, I do, that does get into my head. Like last weekend I played a show and, and I do, you know, I love playing crazy bills like this, but it was like, there was like a hyper pop artist before me oh cool I, yeah i actually really dig hyper pop yeah, yeah she does like hi- i mean and she, she's great she hmm. lives at one of the house venues around here and she's always you know asking me to play and stuff like that and i really like her stuff and sometimes it borders on more like noisy and stuff like that mm. too um and i but i always love seeing her play but it was really interesting following that and i was just like how do I follow? Oh that? Jesus! Did you play yeah. after the hyperpop? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, we were, yeah, and, and <laughs> but then I just because I was like, do I do things that are more lively, or do I think do I do things that are more experimental? Mm. And, and then again, eventually, I, I just didn't think about it. Okay, you know, I was like, I'm just gonna play my set, which is generally like, you know, I go like bluesy song dronier song okay. bluesy song dronier song and so i did that and it, you know the people liked it but especially like i wrote this new song that's like sort of like a slower kind of blues um mm-hmm. 
something that you'd like from one of those Fahey and his orchestra albums kind of thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I was worried. It was the first time I'd played it live, and I was like a little worried about its reception. But people loved it a lot more than I thought that they were going to. That's so, so cool. That's yeah. so cool. Like, yeah. And, and, and I, I guess sometimes you kind of need that as well. Um, <laughs> like, just as a sort of verification, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this thing is worth it definitely yeah okay that's awesome but okay going back though because i realized we didn't actually really cover this so like when you were a kid you were into classic rock and that sort of thing so when did you actually pick up an instrument which i guess was bass was that your first instrument guitar was actually my first instrument i got a guitar for my 10th birthday okay yeah and you know i played it intermittently uh, for the first few years I had it and was it acoustic it was electric string? it was oh, electric. electric okay yeah it was cool. like like one of those little fender well squire one of those squire strat starter packs okay those kits um, yeah 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 <laughs> and so yeah I played that on and off for a few years until like I got to like eighth grade um so 13 mm. I guess um and I really like actually got into playing and it was funny because I'd like sort of taken this break and I was expecting to go back and be like terrible Mm. but you know I just I felt like I did sort of have this natural ability for it so um that was sort of yeah when when I really started to get into it was around 13 um again you know got really into like classic rock and blues and stuff and then also like Charlie Patton and stuff like that super cool but so like when when you got given it was it like did you have an interest or was it just like a totally random gift no i i definitely had an interest you know i can't remember a ton okay like how much specifically but i i always liked music you know and i always Mm. liked you know my mom is the one who listened to a lot of like classic rock and stuff that i like really first started getting into Mm. um and I, I think I, I showed a large interest in that. And same thing, like, my grandparents had a piano in their mm. house. And I think I would always, like, you know, try and, like, play it when I was there. So I, I do think there there was an interest. I don't know if I explicitly said, like, oh, yeah, I want to play the guitar. Mm. But uh, I think my parents could definitely tell that, you know, there was some sort of musical inkling in me. Okay. It's super cool that they got you that, though like <laughs> yeah. and Definitely. then so like so when you were 13 and that what so like did you start just like were you sort of self-taught just coming up with your own stuff or trying to kind of like play riffs from the classic rock that you were listening to also like what kind of classic rock because it's pretty big now um, yeah, yeah yeah um it was both like i took lessons okay. um and a lot of that you know started out like learning songs and stuff like that mm. uh just learning how to play songs i mean led zeppelin was like a big one okay you know i feel like the first band that i got like really big into uh the who were another one Sweet. um neil young took me a little bit longer to warm up to but neil young has been like the most 
like had the most staying power out of all like the oh, classic yeah. rock artists that I Man. start that I listen to. Like he's the only one that's like stayed c- consistent throughout the years. So yeah, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Neil Young. Um, I mean, there's probably others that I can't. Mm. Th- Boston, Boston was oh, another okay. random yeah. one. Yeah, that I, I mean, that I feel like I grew out of them pretty quickly, but yeah. I remember them being like an early one that I really enjoyed. Um, and then when I got when I got into high school, I started getting into like Yes, okay, and Rush and Je- Peter Gabriel era Genesis, mm. uh, King Crimson and stuff like that. So good. Yeah, a lot of I, besides I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, besides Rush, like a lot of those are artists that have also stayed with me that yeah. I like still listen to. Same, yeah. Rush, yeah. like to be honest, I never really heard Rush until like too late. I think, which which I was a bit bleak about because I think I would have dug to to get into them, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, maybe I like wore myself out because I think they were one of my like favorite prog rock bands when I was in high school, and so maybe mm. I just like had too much of it. But so yeah, there was. There was a mix of like learning those songs and then like also sort of like learning a bit of theory and stuff like that and a bit of learning on my own because I only really took lessons intermittently um, like when I wanted, you know, when I wanted to learn a song or something that I couldn't. As I got older, um, I started to mostly just like play on my own and stuff like that or like I had to when I just kind of got like got thrown into the fire mm-hmm. being the school jazz band bass player, like I had to learn how to read music all of a sudden and Whoa. stuff like that. So it was a lot of teaching myself, definitely. Okay, cool. I think like I can still definitely hear um, that Neil Young, like just like compositionally, especially with some of your newer stuff. I'm like I think that that is still perhaps present like a little bit in your playing i i love neil young man like i think yeah he's, he's amazing like after the gold rush is often i think i'm just like yeah that's pro- maybe my favorite album ever <laughs> um, but um are you into like any of his his sort of more recent forays no i can't i, I remember like what that this is around the time I saw him live. I saw him live on the Psychedelic Pill Tour. Okay. That must have yeah. been 2012, I think. Yes. Yeah, it um, was. Mm-hmm. And so I was 17. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it was actually a gift for my 17th birthday. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think that's the last, like, more recent stuff of his that I got into. Um, mm. and yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I was just thinking while you mentioned like the compositional influence, and I think about this a lot because like even, um, even stuff I was doing maybe like three, four, five years ago, is way more compositionally complex than what I'm doing now, and it's I've I found it really interesting how I've really stayed away. Or, or sort of transition from being into stuff and writing stuff that is very complex into something more Neil Young-like okay. that is, um, you know, you get, like, maybe, like, two or three chords or something like that, like, way more droney. Just um, ride them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause I was listening to, like, some unreleased stuff that I made back in, like, 2019 recently, and I was 
just like how did i ever even come up with these chord changes like these are okay. insane i could never do this anymore yeah okay was it like those progressions where there's like 20 different chords kind of thing going on yes yeah yeah <laughs> oh Big, my god I, I was really um another a more recent artist that i was really inspired by was sufjan stevens and so good, really good like especially stuff, like those his first three four records like really compositionally and arrangement complex and so i you know i was taking some from that i was taking some from like my prog rock background and stuff like that um and and you know listening to a lot of like classical and stuff like that too so and i still like to listen to that stuff mm. but it's just not something i find necessarily as inspiring anymore okay yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah sufjan steven's great like i, I really yeah i was like also into the early stuff and then i kind of drifted away and then when carrie and lowell came out i was like whoa okay this is rad <laughs> yeah well that's that was one of my first introductions to more like underground okay. underground you yeah know, you could say, but but like that was one of my <laughs> no, first introductions to something yeah. that wasn't like classic rock or something yeah um, and I mean, like in the mainstream i guess it is underground like, yeah, yeah yeah like that came out my freshman year of college um, I remember that in Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly came yeah. out like within a few weeks of each other. It was a and, good like, year, man. Yeah, <laughs> and those two albums really like expanded my, you know, okay. musical interest. That's so cool. That's so cool. Because Kendrick Lamar, like, yeah, on, on To Pimp a Butterfly, I think like, um, what's his name? Thundercat plays quite yep. a bit of bass on there. Yep. which I imagine would have been pretty inspiring as a bassist, like, at that time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, Because, I, you know, he's crazy, and, and I'm sure maybe being inspired by that somewhat. I, And this has really stuck with me even more than just playing bass, but I remember one of my ensemble professors in this, like, jazz ensemble that I was doing, like, told me to play more simply. Okay. And, you know, I'm sure some of that, like, I was trying, probably trying to do crazy Thundercat shit or okay, something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> but that really, that stuck with me then, and I think that has really stuck with me since. Like, just playing simpler. Um, and, you know, another one of those things that I just came across in college um, that his, you know, somehow flowed into this path that I'm now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, it ties in with sort of like the minimalism and that kind of stuff that you were talking about getting into during college. It's all about like scaling back on that kind of stuff or to that's my understanding of it anyway. Yeah, definitely. And even like, you know, I guess, you know, you sort of with a lot of that get into like an appreciation of you know sonic you know how things actually sound versus how they're actually composed and it's funny because american primitive guitar is a lot about the composition more than like any sort of like sonic interest but excuse me i do think there's like a lot of that that is informing me because a lot of what i listen to now even like the jazz that i listen to now is mostly mm. like two chord 70s miles davis stuff pharaoh oh, sanders nice. late yeah. era john coltrane um and stuff like that so you know i never really 
thought about it too hard until now, but I am just kind of thinking now, like, it's really interesting, you know, American Primitive Guitar is such a, you know, often when it's just a guitar is just, like, theoretically simple. It's just a guitar, like, mm. you're just playing it, and, like, it has a lot of that, like, drone and simple influences, but... I, I don't I don't know where I'm going with this. There's some sort of like complexity mm. in there that is that is beyond just the composition, beyond like just um you know the timbre of the guitar. I guess that's what you would consider like. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just rambling on with nonsense. No, but cons- but consider like sort of you know the synthesis of those is like really what makes it special yeah you know which i think is something that like when i try to tell people like what american primitive guitar is like Mm -hmm. that's it's hard to get that specific part of it across yeah no i i get what you're saying because like i don't know maybe like as you were sort of mentioning earlier like it's it's when I know when I first discovered like Pelt and Jack Rose, so I discovered Jack Rose first and then discovered Pelt. And I was just like, like I wasn't into drone. Like I'd never been exposed to drone really at that time. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like this dude is so good at guitar. And now like what he's wasted on this band. <laughs> you know, I was, like, I was like, but then I guess it started to make sense sort of slowly. And I guess it was when I started sort of hearing in his acoustic playing, maybe perhaps what you're sort of alluding to, which I also can't really articulate, but like that um, almost like, I don't I don't really want to say like meditative, but like there's a, there's like a deep sort of transcendental component to it that taps into something like really, um, archaic in humans i think like that drone really does well and i think american primitive has that as well um and i think also like a lot of electric drone has that like bands like sun and earth and that sort of thing have like this i don't know what it is there's there's like a a heaviness to it almost you know but i guess yeah. i'm also just rambling now <laughs> no no no. i told you because meditative is maybe a you know uh mm. an accurate word for it but i totally get that i mean i think it's i mean some people are just wired this way like i find like earth and sun and stuff like that to be and even like like harsh noise wall kind of stuff like the rita um mm. or even like a band that is really more just like noise rock like lay rally stenude who is like you know they have more songs and stuff like that but it's a lot like just walls of sound i find that stuff to be very relaxing um you know which is probably like not the connection that Mm. most people would make but i find that to be very relaxing and like very very meditative and 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 playing especially like the more longer form stuff can be very meditative and yeah there is just something i think my first like actual thing that i listened to by pelt was the live version of Calais to Dover on the Skullfuck oh, wow. um, live album. Yeah. yeah. And um, this is a random aside, but I remember like I was working because it, it, to go back at some point when I was in college, I switched to being like a, a video production major. And okay. so I remember I was like working on this video like group project and we needed like 
some sort of ominous music to put in and i put one of i was like oh i got the perfect thing and we actually (laughs) used this it was one of the um from the second half of that album one of like the gong drone things yeah Yeah. so yeah that that album that album's a trip um but yeah and so like i think I guess I sort of had like the reverse experience of it where I was like hearing Jack in these mm. drone contexts. And then it was like when you all of a sudden took him out of that, like it still made sense to me. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, like this is very similar. Okay. Just, yeah. And, and I think about that yeah. a lot in my own playing, like sort of the drone and minimalist influence and someone even said that to me after my last show they were like i was really impressed how you were just like really able to like get your strings to sort of like drone like that while still doing other things on top of it and and even if sometimes i think like maybe it's subconscious sometimes um like that's not necessarily what i'm going for when i'm writing a song but Mm. that i mean it's sort of the nature of open tunings and the nature of american primitive guitar but that yeah, sort of drone, minimalist backbone. Mm. Um, they call it oblique motion or something like that. Yeah, it's like very much. Mm. Yeah, in 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 my playing. Mm. No, it is. It really is. But I guess maybe this is. I don't know. Like, is it, perhaps this is also like you know what you're talking about, like with the pink house and the new stuff. Like, I feel like your newer stuff is going more hard into that kind of like um whatever you want to call this sort of territory like the dronier more kind of meditative like transcendentalism i guess you know because the pink house is kind of a lot more it's kind of got that but it's not as sort of consistently putting you in a place of that nature i guess i don't know i'm not i'm not articulating this well at all (laughs) no i I get what you mean and it's funny because i've compositionally really gone in like two opposite directions Mm. um because i I was listening to a lot more like old time and old delta blues and country blues and stuff like that over the summer and i feel like i i was trying to write things that were a little more um concise and like bluesy and structured and melodic like stuff you know um and maybe even like veering away a little bit from that more droniness but then liam (laughs) said something to me actually no he didn't even say this directly to me liam's girlfriend told me that he once told her that he really appreciated how i wasn't afraid to just like sit on an idea and like you know sort of like let it build without like Mm. any care for like um you know necessarily throwing something like compositionally different in there Mm. um and so like that kind of stuck with me and so i sort of started going in these two opposite directions where i was either writing like really bluesy kind of pieces or like really drony repetitive pieces like in that one um some of them even came from just like exercises like that one um hold up your arms on the red cross like started out as just something that i would play both to like mess around in that tuning 
and also to practice like my swing okay um yeah and and so and then and i just kept playing that main riff like those two chords over and over and over again and eventually i was like maybe i should just develop this and do a song Mm. um and same thing like i'm trying to think of the other things on there like the the stan brackage's dartmouth breakdown like that was a very conscious effort at creating something sort of um minimalist and more oblique in structure which i'm not sure sure, like well first things first is i even like took a melody from uh a philip glass opera i think it was from sadia graha from some like random part (laughs) um but also the one thing that i you know sort of was trying to do with that song that i'm not sure i totally did but it's fine because it's different was really yeah trying to have like a more oblique structure which i'm not sure i did but it's something that liam is really good at that i like appreciate um Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really interesting to see how we influence each other in those ways. Like he's thinking about how I let Mm. things drone on and I'm thinking about how, you know, his structures and stuff like that. But so there was definitely, yeah, some conscious efforts to take things in that sort of direction. But still even like, as I mentioned, the most recent piece I wrote was like something that was like way more slow and bluesy. So... I've always yeah. been a person of extremes, and so like it makes sense that I am like going in those two directions. No, nothing in the middle. Yeah, no, I'm I'm starting to get that and see that, and just even like in your tastes, it seems like that, like you like things that are extreme in whatever way. Definitely. But, but so like okay, yeah, I know you probably can't necessarily answer this now, but like, do you think that after this record? Like, do you reckon you're going to be revisiting any electric stuff again? Or, like, are you pretty much on this path of acoustic playing for the foreseeable future? Um, I think with my solo stuff, I I would like to keep it just, you know, American primitive guitar, just acoustic. I, I had been, um you know sort of looking for like an outlet to play electric guitar again i thought about bringing my band back especially mm-hmm. um i don't know if you know uh what scott scott verastrano he's from philadelphia he plays yeah. he he knew jack somehow and he knows liam uh but i saw he's a drummer he's a great drummer and i saw him play in this uh band bitter wish they were sort of like psych space Okay. rock but also sort of doom metal they had the bass player from bardo pond i, I was about to say it sounds because philadelphia like yeah bardo yeah exactly yeah i yeah, love so, bardo pond by yeah the way. so like one of my favorite bands ever yeah, yeah I've, but I've anyway <laughs> getting into them um mm. again recently but anyway so i was talking to scott at that show and you know he said something along the lines of like sometimes you just need to rock out and i was like damn like sometimes you really do need to rock out so i was trying to revive the band that you know that didn't end up working i just sort of got involved with a new group you know we've Mm -hmm. just been practicing we haven't played any shows or anything where i'm playing electric Mm -hmm. um okay distorted noisy yeah it's interesting we've got a weird setup it's me on guitar and then someone who plays like 
sort of like a synth noise table kind of thing. Cool. And then yeah. a harp player who Whoa. plays like through pedals. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. so cool, man. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool. It kind of, it kind of grew out of this like drone thing that Liam and I were doing Whoa. for a while. And then just like, this is sort of like a little offshoot where we wanted mm. to do things that were kind of like that, but that had like actual songs, like, you and know, plugged in. Yeah, plugged in, yeah. like have, have a little drum machine to maybe give us like a beat or something. Um, so yeah, it's electric and and um, a little more rocky, and so like I think that'll that'll satisfy my um, need to play electric, so that I can just like continue to just okay. do um, acoustic stuff solo solo because I. You know, it's hard to tell the future, but I don't anticipate, like, wanting to stray away from this. Um, okay. From, like, doing just the acoustic stuff. I mean, I do sometimes wonder, like, how, you know, I can and will, like, develop in this realm. But, I mean, there's there's time for that, and I don't need to think of that. No, um, no, no. But, yeah, you know, it's always, like, and I've other kinds of stuff like i have thought about making just like noise before maybe putting it under you know some sort of pseudonym mm. or something but yeah the the solo stuff for now and for the foreseeable future is definitely all okay just acoustic you, you're not ever tempted to be like a little bit like the jack rose tale you were telling earlier but like you know being on a bill where it's like liam joseph allred something like that and then like rolling in just with like a noise table and just like instead of an acoustic set you just do yeah. like a <laughs> I don't know that, I mean it can sort of that it can sort of start to feel I guess I don't nah. know homogenous or something when you end up in bills like that but also a lot of no, the bills no. I play are already okay. like like I don't have to be the noise guy yeah like, no you got hyper pop one of them. you got yeah <laughs> Um, that's so crazy man like I, I can't imagine like going to a hyper pop show and a primitive like acoustic set being part of the same show that's that's so awesome like yeah yeah sounds like a cool scene that you're in there it is it, it's boston is weird okay you can like find the cool stuff if you know where to find it mm. um it's more than mark Wahlberg. Yes, is it is more than Mark what, Wahlberg. Which is what we foreigners know it as. <laughs> God, it, of all the... Sorry, boss, like, I'm so sorry. No, it's all yeah. right. It's like, couldn't... Yeah. I mean, I guess Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are pretty well known too, but I would much rather have them be like the front of mind yeah. Boston celebrities than Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the you know, you find the, the cool and weird stuff in Boston mm. is there, but... There's also, like, a big sort of Berkeley College of Music-dominated, like, indie rock scene that can be really, uh, like, you, you know, can hard to be, break out of, like, the hegemony of that. Like, they really, yeah. because, like, a lot of them live at, like, the house venues and stuff like that, and, and oh, it becomes, yeah, and okay. it becomes, so like, they, a sort of yeah. cycle where, like, you know they only book their bands and their friends bands and stuff like that and it could be hard mm. to like break out of that and so it does kind of and you know that is like because i mean probably you know they have like sort of you know a built-in community of being in college and stuff like mm. that and, and you know 
I don't want to assume, but Berkeley costs a lot of money. So there, yeah. there's a fair chance that, like, you know, they're coming from, you know, a higher place of privilege and stuff like that. So it does often feel like it's like that sort of, you know, underground scene. And then, like, the more weirder, like, true mm. underground scene are at odds with each other. Because they do overlap sometimes. Yeah. But they also, like... It does feel like sometimes, like, the weirder stuff can be shut out by the, you know, the... As someone mentioned to me, this is what I played last week, the four-piece Berkeley indie band, like... Yeah, like Vampire Weekend type of thing. Well, it, that's what like, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, they all... Yeah, they all... I mean, I would love if they all sounded like Vampire Weekend. They all sound <laughs> like, um... You see, this thing, I don't even listen to, like, enough bands like that to have a point of reference but they all either sound like sort of like jangle pop wannabes or like um uh joy division wannabes oh no okay got you yeah 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 we 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 had a similar sort of thing when i was at college you always had those exact two bands the philosophy majors yeah generally in those bands (laughs) right or there's like Mm. again i don't want to spend a ton of time like and i'm sure this is true for a lot of music scenes um yeah i'm finding it relatable to be honest yeah yeah yeah, because well it's just because it's it's so much easier to complain than to praise because i was talking to someone about this last night like they asked me why i've you know stayed in boston like why i've stayed in massachusetts my whole life and i was like trying to think how to answer that question and the similar thing goes for like the boston music scene because there is like there's that kind of stuff there's like a big like pop punk and emo scene here that seems to exist more than in a lot of other cities which is yeah that's so weird yeah which is very interesting um and I've noticed that that's coming back though, because like I grew up with pop punk and then it disappeared, and it seems to have revived itself somehow. A very I guess, unlikely revival, yeah. Yeah, I mean I, that's never been my kind of thing. I Same. do remember, like, sort of going back. Like that was the. There was like three paths to go on as like a music fan when I was in high school. It was like you either the classic rock kid you were the pop punk kid or you were like the mainstream kid you know okay and so like yeah same thing i think that's why i i veered even farther into the classic rock realm when i was in high school because i just like didn't get the other two yeah. and yet still it's not my kind of music and it can you know it's nice because when you find you know your people here and you can like because it is um you know, it does exist here in Boston. So when mm. you find them, it is nice. And it's a really nice community. Um, yeah. And, and ultimately, and, it's an underground community. Like, you're yeah. not going to be the main scene, as it right, were. Right, right. And, like, you know, Boston isn't... In the grand scheme of things, Boston is not a wicked big city or a wicked deep, diverse city. But, you know, it's at least mm. big enough to where, like, these you feel like these things can actually exist. And, you know, you do, I think you do find more diversity in, like, these underground scenes. Mm. Um, And just lastly, sort of, like, on this, it is, you know, it is tough, too, because here, like, 
the cost of living is high like tech is has been driving out mm. stuff for a long time and like it just kind of seems like to continue and so that's like another part of the struggle but it also almost like brings you together more okay you know yeah. and it's like wherever you know as much as you know people are gonna try and like push things like this out like it's hard to just make that go away and in boston at least claims to try and like want to keep this part of you mm-hmm. know their culture alive like the music culture alive like it does at least want to consider itself a cultured city which whether or not it actually uh you know succeeds at doing that i don't know but it, it mm-hmm. at least does allow for this kind of stuff to still exist and not just get like totally wiped out as it might in like a different place mm. okay I don't know. Yeah, it, it, to be honest, like it sounds, it sounds pretty rad. I guess with like the Berkeley component, it probably it's like a bit of a double-edged sword because it probably does keep some kind of the musical culture being prevalent in the city. But um, as you mentioned, there's a serious power imbalance because I've seen how much the Berkeley College of Music costs, and I know like Eric Andre studied there and often in his bits and stuff will like reference how much money he still owes them more like you know (laughs) from from studying double bass there or whatever um so i'm fairly certain anyone who's studying there is not not struggling you know yeah they're either not struggling or they're struggling terribly you know oh okay yeah (laughs) yeah right like i get you i get you either they either have it all paid Mm. or they're like oh i'm gonna be in debt for until after i die you know yeah (laughs) it's it's pretty horrible but (laughs) yeah i mean god could have a whole Mm. nother conversation about the yeah college in the united states but um yeah and it's like there are other because there are other non-necessarily music-centric schools in Boston. There are other, like, there's New England mm. Conservatory where a lot of more experimental stuff comes out of. Okay. Um, like, I know cool. a lot of experimental people. Like I said, a lot of free improv, free jazz people mm-hmm. who went to New England Conservatory. And, I mean, it just there's so... Outside of that, there's so many colleges yeah. in Boston. Like, they definitely... Um, they definitely do help keep it alive, you know, for mm. better or for worse. Like that, having that like rotating crop of like young people, you know, with yeah. vitality, like like sort of, you know, coming in and out. It can be tough because you know sometimes it make you know a lot of these people are here temporarily, so it yeah, makes it feel like you know. Um, but but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like where I went to college or you know, yeah university or whatever, um, it's like a tiny small town in the middle of nowhere, and the only people like there's there are not enough people there for it to be, you know, providing education to the people who actually live there. Like you know, like if everyone in the little town went there, it would be like less than five percent of the student population you know so there like i because i did my undergrad and then i left and then i went back to do postgrad and when i went back it was like completely different like music the party scene like everything i was like wow okay 
it really is just constantly rotating but not it, it wasn't a bad thing though uh, and it certainly made for a lot of interesting music constantly going on if you lived there for a number of years you know which i think is pretty cool so i guess maybe you have a bit of that going on as well yeah definitely i mean again the Sorry about my dogs. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Um, but no, you definitely... I mean, and just, like... You know, and I said this before, like, Boston is such, like, a, you know, in the middle where... It's not like New York City where you're going to just, like, get, like, sort of completely, you know, lost mm. in, you know, the the giant mass of people and what you're trying to do. Okay. But it is, like, yeah. also not so small where, like, it's just the only thing going on. So, um... It's both disheartening and refreshing to know that it was that like, you know, just a small part of whatever this okay. is and whatever I participate in, you know, is what I make of it, you know, and what I put into it and appreciate about it. And it doesn't necessarily matter how much it plays into the greater scheme of this city or anything. Like as much as I, I am someone who thinks about geography a lot <clears throat> and um, you know how places influence people and stuff like that and it is sort of it is heartening to find like you go to other places that you may be especially in America have lesser reputations for lack of a better term and, and still find that they still have these you know communities of you know like-minded people who you've you know who i you know and underground musicians and stuff like that feel a part of and and that you know not to get too political but that is just like you know what i found especially with touring and stuff like that like mm. really the most important part and, and it's funny because you really see that touring because you're going to these cities that you aren't familiar with and you just sort of have these preconceived notions of and your only interaction is really with that scene but it is interesting to sort of take that um, viewpoint and put it you know towards yourself and like where mm. you were based and see like oh well you know sort of go back what I was you know mentioned talking to someone like why do I stay here like it's more than or less than just like the city as its whole but the community that you yeah. know I've gotten myself involved in mm. and it does sound like an amazing community like just from what you've mentioned in this conversation but I think um, I'll just have one last question, uh, sure. and it is, if you were to play one song of yours to someone that you'd never met before, you don't know who they are, but just to sort of introduce them to your music and what you do, what song would you play for them? Oh, man. <laughs> that is a tough one. I think, um, I think probably one of the new ones hold up your arms on the red cross because i feel like okay. it's a good mix of being like droney and repetitive but um like it also still has like sort of those like bluesy elements and stuff like that and it really swings because mm -hmm. as i said it started out as yeah. sort of a uh just a exercise to like practice that so i i think that one i think that one covers all, all the bases that i would want to show okay sick so like normally i would 
end the episode by playing that song but because that's a song that's still in progress of your existing stuff what do you want to end the show with oh i mean especially since i'm going to re-record it like you can you know i sent you you can use that one can i I use that version yeah i mean people people hear it any you know you can hear it a live show I, i don't care i'm not like awesome yeah, I'm, I'm stoked, not someone who really. Yeah, I'm not someone who really worries about like secrecy or like oh, I can't, I can't reveal what's out there. Like, nah, I don't care. Okay, and you're not gonna sue me for nope. sharing it like that. Okay, awesome. No, definitely not. <laughs> Your legal team won't be yes. in contact. Yep. <laughs> yeah, But anyway, thank you so much, man. I really yeah. appreciate the time to chat. It's so cool, like um, that you're out there doing this sort of thing. So sort of early on i guess in what i hope will be a long and illustrious career uh, and Thanks. i hope to, i hope to chat to you again yeah yeah definitely it's funny you say early on because i feel like old sometimes i'm 27 <laughs> and like especially oh, liam liam's only 23 and so i feel like really <laughs> old sometimes especially when i'm like hanging around him but yeah in the grand scheme mm. of things pretty young and that's what i like remind mm. myself too when i started to get down i was like well jack didn't start doing this until he was like 30 you know yeah and saying glenn didn't start till he was like in his 40s or 50s yeah no man early days myself yeah yeah (laughs) but thanks so much man yeah i'm gonna end recording there i think yeah yeah um how (laughs) 